0: Let me open us up in prayer before we begin. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity once again to come together as men and to uh, look at your word and to study it together, to fellowship together. And I pray, Father, as we continue to look at this issue of the call, getting into the game, moving from success to significance, that, Father, you would continue to call out men and reprioritize our lives that we would put first things first, your things first. And Father, I'll admit, for me, that's very difficult at times because there seem to be so many things that crowd in on my day, my life, my plan, my agenda, many of which are very good. But they keep me from doing what you have gifted me and called me to do. So Father, this morning, speak to our hearts. I pray that the time around the tables would be open and honest. And I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would work in every one of our lives, continuing to call us to step out and to do the good works that you've created us for. Father, we give you this morning. We thank you for the food that's been prepared for us. And we pray that this day would be a special day from this point to the evening when we, our head hits the pillow. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, guys, over the last two weeks, we've had two, uh, guests come and speak to us, two of our own, uh, one being David Breedlove, uh, spoke two weeks ago, and then we also had Brandon Bamey come and speak to us. And these, these are two guys, and the reason I wanted them to share is, is sometimes we get the, uh, impression that Certain people are called, and especially people who are in full-time Christian ministry. And it's interesting, you know, a year and a half ago, I was in advertising full-time. That was my career. That was my vocation. And then I made a a shift to full-time Christian ministry working here at the church. In a 24-hour period, I went from being one of you to suddenly I'm no longer one of you. You know, it's just, and I don't think you've you've never said anything to me, but I think there's this perception that, well, now you're on staff, now you're full time. So I wanted to get David and I wanted to get Brandon up here just to, sh- to show you that there are some other guys who are being called out, who God is placing something on their heart, and they're getting in the game. They're serving. And they're doing what God has called them to do. And it's been, for both of them, I think, kind of a circuitous path to figure out, what is it I'm supposed to do? And what's unique about both of them, that's unique about every man in this room, is they still have bills to pay. They still have to be a husband. They still have to be a dad. They still have to get up and go to work. They still have to take care of things around the house. They still have deadlines to meet. So they're not full-time in the sense of this is how they make their living, but... Somehow, God has called them out. They still have a career. They still have things they need to do. But they've also discovered a calling. They've discovered a passion that God has put on their their hearts and lives. And I, and I think you saw that in both of them. If you didn't get to hear them, you can go online to our website. You can listen to the podcast. You can download. We have CDs out there. Give them away. It's really interesting. Um, Saturday, uh, Sunday, there was a... Um, Luncheon for uh, the next trip, planning trip for Brazil. And um, I heard from a, a couple of sources that there were some men there from this group whose wives had been wanting to go on a short term mission trip. But the husbands maybe weren't quite as excited about going on a short term mission trip. And because of what they heard, from Brandon, they were in that meeting. That's the reason I'm having these guys get up. If it, if it does anything, if it takes two guys and gets you excited and gets you all over the edge to take the step and to go do something like that, then it's worth it. But I think you heard from these guys that they have a passion. They have something that has lit a fire within them. And that's my desire for every guy in this room. Last week we looked at this verse, and we're going to look at it again this morning because I think it's critical to understanding this issue of calling. It's Ephesians 2.10. We are God's masterpiece. We're His creation. He has made you the way you are. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. Jesus Christ has created you anew because of His death on the cross. And God has created you and given you some good things that he wants you to do and he's planned them from before the creation of the world. And I think what we've heard from David, what we heard from Brandon, and there are other men in this room that illustrate this, that you are, many of you are about those good works. You've discovered what they are and you're right smack dab in the middle of them. You're doing them. They've discovered those good works. What God wants them to do. What God has planned for them to do. Now, I don't think David and, and Brandon knew, even a year ago, what those might be. I think if two years ago you'd have gone to David Breedlove and say, hey, you're going to be going to Tajikistan, he'd have said, where is it, and what is it, and why would I? But now he's discovered it. And I'm not really sure he can even say how he discovered it, but God has led him to, to find out what that passion is. And it is now a passion. All you have to do is be around him very long to know that that's what he's going to talk about. That's what he's excited about. Same thing with Brandon. You can't be around Brandon and not know that he's excited about Brazil and the ministry in Brazil. But what about you? What about me? Do you know what your passion is? Do you know what your calling is? Have you discovered your spiritual sweet spot? In other words, you you just know that, man, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I can tell you that right now, I am doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I I am in my sweet spot. Now, you may sit out there and go, well, it's not, I don't know. Maybe it's not. Maybe you can keep looking. But all I know is that when I'm preparing a lesson, when I'm getting ready to teach, when I am teaching, when I'm here, this is, I'm in my sweet spot. I would rather be no other place than right here. And it is a wonderful feeling when you're in that place, that spiritual sweet spot. But if you don't have one, if you don't know what that is, if you're still kind of searching or you're not even looking, why not? Why wouldn't you want to know? If God has created you to be doing something that he's laid out from before the foundation of the world and he's equipped you for it, why wouldn't you want to know what it is? And why wouldn't you want to be about it? That's a critical question every guy in this room needs to ask themselves. But there's a problem. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. I believe, I truly believe that every guy in this room wants to do something with his life. Something significant. They, they want to make a difference. You want to make a difference. You don't want to go through life, get to the end of, end of your life and look back and go, gosh, I did nothing. Nothing. I accomplished nothing with my life other than yeah I paid the bills we have a nice home but I'm going to leave that to my kids and I'm I just but I've really done nothing with my life so I really believe every guy wants to accomplish something we want to leave a legacy that will outlast us that will live beyond us something that people will benefit from long after I'm gone and you're gone I really believe that's true of every guy in this room, whether you admit it or not. Oz Guinness, we looked at really in the first couple of weeks his book, The Call. This is how he says it. As modern people, that's us, we are all in a search for significance. We desire to make a difference. We long to leave a legacy. We yearn, as Ralph Waldo Emerson put it, to leave the world a bit better. Our passion is to know that we are fulfilling the purpose for which we are here on earth. All other standards of success, wealth, power, position, knowledge, friendships, grow tinny and hollow if we do not satisfy this deeper longing. Now here's the issue. This is true of every person that walks the earth because of the presence of God. The image of God that inhabits every person that walks the earth, whether they're saved or lost, we all are made in the image of God. And I think we have within us this desire to be significant. That's why people who are lost do all kinds of great things. And give away their fortunes and go serve in uh, foreign countries and Peace Corps and you name it. Because it's that image of God that impacts every being, every human being. But the enemy, for us as Christians, doesn't want us to make a difference. And the enemy doesn't want you to leave a legacy, at least not a positive one. And so what does he do? He's always trying to get us preoccupied, off track, off kilter, pursuing something else so that we will not make a real difference. And so the legacy we end up leaving to our kids is just be really busy. Just work really hard and make lots of money. Just be really successful in sports so that you're popular and so that you achieve. And and there's nothing wrong with those things necessarily, but our kids follow our legacy. And they look at us and go, man, dad works really hard. He's always at work. He's never at home. He doesn't have time. And so what what do our kids do? They follow our legacy. That's what the enemy wants us to do. But our passion is to know that we're fulfilling the purpose for which we're here on earth. That's really what's within every one of us. So why don't we? Why don't you and I do that? What keeps us from doing it? The truth is, I should be able to go to any man in this room and say, Next week, I want you to stand up here and share what God has given you a passion for. I should be able to go to any man in this room and ask you to get up and share what God has given you a passion for. And you would jump at the chance. Now you may be petrified to stand up in front of people, but if you've got a passion about something that God has placed on your heart, you know one of the things that will happen is you'll want to tell anybody and everybody about it. You'll want them to experience it with you. You'll want to expose them to it. So why? Well, this morning I want to talk to you about some of the reasons I think are the whys. And what I need you to do is I need you to turn to the book of Haggai. I know it's well worn in your Bible. It is in the Old Testament. It's the third book from the end of the Old Testament. So find the middle of your Bible and then go backwards. Just three books. It's Haggai. H-A-G-G-I-E A-I, sorry. And we're going to talk about when God's work takes a back seat in our lives. When, when God's work, what he has planned for you to do, takes a backseat. So turn to Haggai. Chapter 1. It's a very short book. I guarantee very few of us in the room have spent much time in the book of Haggai. So it'll, it'll be kind of fresh to you this morning. Let me give you the historical setting, just to set the, set the stage for what, what we're talking about and what, when this guy spoke and wrote and prophesied. He is what's considered a post-exilic prophet. In other words, it was after the exile. If you recall, the Israelites, the nation had been divided into two, the northern kingdom, southern kingdom. They refused to keep God's commandments. They refused to do the things God had called them to do. They weren't obedient, and so God allowed them to go into captivity. The northern kingdom ended up in Assyria. And then the southern kingdom, Judah, ended up in Babylon. Haggai is a prophet who prophesied after the exile. Okay? And that's important to understand. He's a contemporary of Zechariah, if that helped you any. It probably doesn't, but... If you, if you ever wondered how to, how to, where do all these prophets fit in and minor and major and, well, he's at least a contemporary of Zechariah. The Jews had been in captivity in Babylon for 70 plus years. Okay? 70 years they've been in captivity in a foreign land. But they had been allowed to return to Jerusalem by King Darius to do what? Who knows? To rebuild the temple. To rebuild the walls of of the city. He allowed them to come back and begin that process under the direction of Nehemiah. So that's the context of of what's going on. They are to be rebuilding the temple. That's why they're there. Okay? That's why they're there. Here's the problem. Fourteen years later, the temple's not finished. The temple still, the, the house of God is completely unfinished. And that's the context. Okay? Keep that in mind. So look at verses 1 through 6 is where we're going to concentrate this morning. Haggai's job as a prophet is to tell the people you haven't finished your job. You haven't done the work that God has you here to do. So look at verse 1. In the second year of Darius the king, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts. This people says, The time hasn't come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Now you hear what they're saying? We know what God said, but this is, this is bad timing. He's wrong." The time has not come for us to rebuild the temple, so we're not going to do it. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies desolate? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Here's the situation. Fourteen years have gone by. They've been returned to the land And to Jerusalem in particular, to rebuild the temple, the house of God. Fourteen years later, some say sixteen years later, they still haven't done their job. But what have they done? What have they done, according to this passage? They're busy building their own houses. But they haven't done what God sent them back to do. And there's a rebuke in this. And this is real important this morning. And you find it in verses three through five. Listen to what it says. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come for us to do this. We know what you said, God, but you know what? And this is a 14 year stinking delay. Now, I'm I'm the king of procrastinators. You just have to ask my wife. I will put off anything distasteful for as long as I possibly can. Like sharing the sex talk with my son. I procrastinate, but I don't know that I've ever procrastinated 14 years on anything. Fourteen years, they've just decided, now's not the time. Now's not the time. Now's not the time. It's really still not time. We're not going to do this. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? The house of God? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought to your ways. One of the translations says, consider your ways. You better stop and take stock. Think real carefully about your ways. What are you doing? That's really what he's saying there. You better stop, guys, and think about what you're doing. I gave you a job to do. I brought you back here for a reason. And you have not done what I've called you to do. What you're going to find out is God's not going to put up with that. God at some point is going to say, you know what, I've let 14, 16 years go by, but you're going to do what I called you to do. You're going to do what I created you to do. They had put off building, rebuilding the house of God, God's house. They just put it off. They said, it's not the time. God must be wrong. You ever had God tell you to do something and you just go, bad timing, God. Can't do it right now. Really busy. Let me check my calendar. No, won't fit in. That's exactly what these people were doing. And they had put off and put off for 16, 14 to 16 years, the rebuilding of the temple of God. But what had they been doing? And this is really interesting in this passage, and you can blow right past it. They were living in fancy houses. The passage says, you... You say, it is time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses. That word, paneled houses, the, the word is usually used in conjunction with um, cedar. And the only place you could get cedar was Lebanon. In Lebanon, you had to have it shipped to you because there wasn't any... Enough wood in the, the general area to, to do this. And so what the passage is saying is you're sending away and you're paying good money to have really nice wood brought in so you can panel your stinking houses. But you don't have time to rebuild the house of God. You have put his work on the back burner while you take care of your own needs. They were building fancy houses. Here's their problem. Misplaced priorities. Misplaced priorities. You know, and, and, and if you're out there and you're going, man, this is hitting close to home, good. Because you know what? I've had to struggle with this passage all week, and I've hated it. And now it's your turn. This is uncomfortable, guys, because you know what? I am so convicted at this point that I have so many dadgum misplaced priorities. And I basically am telling God, I know what you want me to do, but I'm a little busy right now. I've got other priorities. And you know what? God will put up for, put up with that for a while. But he's going he's gonna to get what he wants. And that's exactly what was happening to these people. They had misplaced their priorities. They were not putting God first in their lives. They were basically saying, Okay, house of God, great. It's been desolate for 80 years four-plus years. And God's just saying, hey, I sent you back. You were in captivity. And I sent you back. Now think about this. This is where it gets really convicting. Where were you before Jesus Christ came into your life? You were in captivity. You were living in a foreign land. You were... Not in control of your life. You thought you were, but you were living in captivity under the dominion of somebody else who ruled your life. And then Jesus Christ, because of his death on the cross, set you free and brought you back to the land. But guess what? He gave you a job to do. But what are we doing? What we want to do. What we want to do. It's exactly what these these Jewish people were doing in Haggai's day. They were not putting God first. They were more concerned about their own comforts. Let's build some paneled houses. Let's let's do X. Let's do Y. Let's make sure our kids are in the best schools. Let's make sure we live in the best community. Let's make sure we take the best vacations. Let's wear the nicest clothes. And guys... There's nothing wrong with any of those things. It's just that they should never take precedence over the priorities of God in our life. And when we start saying those things are more important than God's things, we are walking on extremely thin ice. And God is saying, what about my priorities? What about the work I've called you to do and i created you to do and I gifted you to do? Are you doing it? Obsessed with our own comforts. Now here's the result. He says in verse 6, You have planted, but have harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're never warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Man, have I ever experienced that one. You know, you make money and you go, where did it go? God, what... I just got a raise, but I don't even see it. We haven't even increased our standard of living. Where did it go? Here's the first symptom, guys. When you've put God's work on the back burner, in the back seat, dissatisfaction. And I'm guaranteeing, I don't know everybody in this room, but I can safely say that most everybody, if not everybody in this room, is dissatisfied in some way in their life right now dissatisfaction they were living very unsatisfying lives in their extremely nice paneled homes and you know what we got people living in incredibly beautiful homes all across this city many of them attend this church and they are unsatisfied there's never enough if I could just have a little bit more never enough here's what he's saying to these guys you plant why do you plant? You plant to expect a harvest, right? You plant, but you harvest little. Something goes wrong. Something goes haywire. You eat, but you never seem to be full. You know, you just, man, that was good, but that, that just doesn't satisfy me anymore. You drink, but you're still thirsty. Now, guys, you got to take this and, and apply it to every area of your life. We're not ag- in an agricultural setting anymore. So in what ways do we do these things? We plant, we work hard, we, we sow through our work, and, but we don't seem to get much in return. We get a paycheck, but it doesn't satisfy. We, we eat, we, we take in what the world offers and we consume, and, but we're never filled. We drink, but we're still thirsty. We drink what the world has to offer, but we're kind of like, man, that, that just didn't do it. You put on clothes, but you can't get warm. Do you, do, you, do you sense the dissatisfaction and the frustration built into this? And many of us are dissatisfied. Many of us are frustrated. And we wake up and we get on the treadmill and we go to work and we do our job. And some of you may, you may really enjoy your job, and that's great. But you still, at the end of the day, you put your head in the pillow and you go, is this, is this it? And I get to get up tomorrow and do it again. There's a dissatisfaction in our lives. You earn wages, but they disappear. It's like putting your putting your wages, your coins, in a purse that has a huge hole in it. And you turn around and it's like, where did it go? Where did it go? Dissatisfaction. See, these people had put God on the back burner. They had put Him on the back seat, His will, His way, His work. And they'd say, you know, it's not the time. I'm not going to do that right now. And it's like everything they touched became unproductive. And you may be making a truckload of money and still dissatisfied. And you just, you still don't make enough. You may live in a really beautiful home and, man, he's got a bigger one. You may drive a really nice car and, but there's a brand new one. You know, this. Two Fridays ago, I went with my family to the State Fair. It was 95 stinking degrees at the State Fair. I don't even like the State Fair. I hate the State Fair when it's 95 degrees. So we're walking around and I'm pouring sweat and I'm thinking, this is not fun. This is family time. (laughs) So I convinced my wife, you know, let's go to the car pavilion. She hates the car pavilion. My wife hates cars. So I finally convince her, we go in and I just, I literally park myself on the floor just to cool off, and I watched. It was fascinating. Talk about the better life versus the good life. The lust meter was off the chart. I mean, there were people from every walk of life, the rich, the poor, the good, the ugly. They were walking around, and I mean, the the eyes in these people were just coming out of their heads as they looked at these cars, and they, you know, the drools coming out of their mouth. They're rubbing the cars. And there was one car that was an $85,000, um, God, what was it? Dodge Viper convertible. I, I lusted after that one for a while. I, just, I, I refused to rub it or anything like that. But I walked by and I looked at it. But they had a camera set up, and you could have your picture taken with this car. And I thought, man, how cheesy is that? Who's going to do that? Everybody. And I literally was ten yards away from this car, and everybody and their dog would come up, and it would all start the same. They'd look at it, and their eyes would get big, they'd glaze over, and they would just and they start rubbing it. And then they would see the camera, and they they get in it, and they would fight to get in it. Like people would already be in it, and they'd just yank on the door to get them out so they could get in it. And then they'd sit in there, and they would. It, it was I was over here laughing because people they would get and they put their arm and they. And they'd look at the camera, and the lady take their picture, and give them a card, and they could pick it up later. And then they, but they were, the fantasy was going on, and they were picturing themselves driving down the road. You, you know, bald-headed guys, you know, thinking their hair's blowing in the wind, and you know. <laughs> I guarantee that the car sales went out of the the roof the next week, as people bought cars hoping it would do what? Make them happy. Two weeks later. Reality sets in. Oh, there's a car payment. They're no longer happy. The first door ding. The first wreck. Look at this. This is us. This is how we live. So, what does he say? Consider your ways. Think carefully about what you're doing, guys. I got work for you to do, and you're not doing it. You better consider your ways. Because guess what? You can continue going down the path you're doing, and you will live a life of dissatisfaction. You may fool yourself for a while and think, well, I'm happy. I got exactly what I want. But it will never provide what it's supposed to provide. It will leave you dissatisfied. So dissatisfaction. Verses 9 through 11, Look, at, he goes on. He's not done yet. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home I blew away. Why? declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and whatever the ground produces, on men and cattle and on the labor of your hands. Guess what, guys? You don't want to do God's work? Fine. What's God going to do? Dissatisfaction. Things will not work out the way you plan. You know there there are men in this room who have who have been addicted to their work, who have been addicted to money, who have been addicted to success, and they've lost their families. And I don't say that to beat them up. If anything, I want to come alongside them and have come alongside many of them and hug them and encourage them and prayed for them. I just don't want to see it keep happening. And if they had the chance, they'd stand up here and say, guys, don't do as I've done. We have got to get off this track. Consider our ways. Because here's the second symptom, guys. God does discipline. I hate to break the news to you, but God does discipline. These people were experiencing lies without God's blessing. Life without the blessing of God. Man, what a... who would want to live that way? Virtually every one of us from time to time, if not most of the time. It says you expect a large harvest, but you get little. Man, man, I I got that new job. I got that new raise. Man, this is going to be great. I'm pouring everything into my job. And at the end of the day, there's nothing to show for it. It doesn't measure up. What you do bring home disappears. Everything around you fails to produce the results you expect. Well, honey, what do you mean you've fallen out of love with me? I bought you this house. I've got you the nicest Escalade I can get. I've put the kids in the best school. We take the best vacations. What what do you want from me? It doesn't add up. It doesn't produce the results you expect. Why? God says because you refuse to give God's work the priority it deserves. My house sits desolate. My work goes undone. You know, Tom Melton stood right here and he said, guys, Friday at three o'clock, I need help. I'm going to be real honest. Most of you guys are thinking somebody will do it. And it ain't going to be me. Because I don't want to get up and go to Como. I don't want to go help those people. I got things to do. But you know what? That is God's work. That's not Tom's work. That's not Christ Chapel's work. That's not Ted Kitchen's work. That is God's work that he has called us to do. And many of us are going, not my time, Lord. Bad time. Ain't going to do it. Call somebody else. God's work needs to have the priority it deserves. Guys, I, I am so convinced that this is critical. It is critical to get our priorities straight. Let me leave you with a couple of thoughts. You will never hear from God if you never listen to God. That means if you're not in the Word of God daily, you are never going to hear from God. If you're sitting there going, I don't know what my passion is, I don't know what God wants me to do, you will never know if you're never listening, if you're too busy to listen. You won't ever do His good works if you fill every second of your life with your own. You will never do His good works. Show up at 3 o'clock on Friday. You may not want to. You may not have time to. Do it anyway. And watch God work in your life. Putting your priorities over God's will never bring true satisfaction. It never will. And you'll either, either learn that the easy way, by trusting Him and believing Him, or you'll learn it the hard way. And ignoring God will not make him go away. Ignoring God will not make him go away because he loves you too much to let you to continue to walk in disobedience. Consider your ways. Father, we come to you this morning. And I pray, I ask, I plead that in my life and the life of every man sitting in this room right now, that Your Holy Spirit would call us and convict us to begin to do the work You've created us to do. Help us to put our priorities back in place because Your work is going undone because Your people are refusing to do it. They're expecting somebody else to do it. Father, please... Show us, guide us, direct us so that we will step out in faith and begin to do and search for and look for what it is you've equipped us and called us to do. So that we might receive the blessing, but more importantly, so that we might be a blessing to those around us. Father, I thank you for these men. I thank you that many of them are already passionate about your work. And they're about your work. And they're doing things behind the scenes. And they're working for you. But there are many of us, Father, who are still struggling with, I don't, I don't know that I have time. I, it's a busy time of life for me. I've got kids doing this and kids doing that. And I've got work to do. And just like the Israelites, we're saying, you know, now's not the time to build the temple. And we're disagreeing with you. And we're putting your work, your priorities on the back burner of our life. Show us how to put them on the front burner. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your care. Thank you for the fact that you have called us, equipped us, and given us work to do that will make a difference in this world and for eternity. Now may we walk out today different than when we walked in. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son and our Savior. Amen.